podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It slightly favours the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again. Quick fire and drags it down now. Long we out. Oh, what a goal! What a goal! Here comes up, chance goal! Scotland have scored! It's Andy! It's Dykes! It's Welcome to the Hand and Roar podcast, not the dream ending to the international break we hoped for. Bellingham bossed Hamden Park as Scotland were put in our place a wee bit by our old rivals who held us at arm's length and won 3-1 without really breaking sweat. A bit of a reality check ahead of two tough fixtures to come against Spain and France, Ligue of the Nations and hopefully the Euros next summer. I'm your host, Andy Barge, and joining me is BN Sports commentator Callum Brown and former Kilmarnock and Rangers keeper Tammy Bell. Lads, thanks for joining us. Not the joyous podcast we might have had in mind, but this is by no means a depression session. Callum, I think it's quite simple to say the better team won, unfortunately. Yeah, I think that's it, Andy. Um, you, you, you touched on it well during that, that intro. I think England were the... The better side. Um, frustratingly, from from maybe a Scotland point of view, I don't think we were at our best, which maybe makes it a little bit more frustrating. I don't think England, in in that case, had to be at their best. Um, but you know their performance on the night, their star players on the night were were much better than our star players, and I think you know that that's kind of kind of the the meat and drink of it. Um, you know, it was a a flat first first half. We didn't really get going, and um, you know, England got those two goals and it was always going to be a, a tough way back. We obviously tried to get back into the game, but then I think England just stretched their legs a wee bit more and, and it was always always comfortable for them, really. I mean, the team have been on a almost relentless run, well, pretty much a relentless run, really, for a year or so now. And players playing at a good level down south with McGinn, Gilmore, Robertson, etc. But I think that was a bit of a an eye-opener as to how far we've got to go to compete against the best teams on a regular basis? Yeah, I think so. I think it was a, listen, it was always going to be a real challenge for us. Um, for me, England are one of probably the top five teams in the world. Um, again, just looking at the players they've got at their disposable, how, how strong they are within their squad. Um, it was always going to be an uphill task. I felt as if we would probably have to play it our very best to get anything from the game. I know we've been in great form, um, but it's always difficult when you're playing against these top, top sides and elite sides as well. And I think England, for me at this moment in time, are ahead of Spain because they're a, they're a gelled squad. They're a squad that's been together for a long time. They've got a lot of experienced players. I feel as if Spain are a squad who are in sort of transition mode at the moment. Um, so I felt as if it was always going to be an uphill battle, but... I was still a little bit disappointed with the outcome and probably disappointed with the performance more than anything, to be honest. The, the Spain one, despite England probably, in fact, yeah, being a better team than Spain at the moment, uh, being fair comment, that that Spain game, we really came flying out the traps, hit them with it hurt early on, and I think they were a bit shocked by that. And we did that at the start of the first half and the start of the second half. Callum, if we were to compare this to one game in particular, I feel that the England game was a bit reminiscent of the Czech game at the Euros where there was the big build-up 
and we looked a bit like a, a deer in the headlights for the first half. And by the time we tried to get back into it, it was almost too late. There have been a few big games under Clark where that's happened. Uh, Ukraine in the playoff, Ireland at home, which we eventually overturned. Would you put this England match in the same bracket as them? Just a, a bit of a, a slow start, really biting us in the arse um, by the time we tried to get back into it? Yeah, definitely. Um, I, w- I would definitely say a, a carbon copy of that that Ukraine game. Obviously, in terms of the, the two goals up, we get one back as well, and then you know we're, we're hit on the counter. Ultimately, we we do well in a, a period of the game, but um, not enough in the end. The the first half kind of kind of just kills it for me. You mentioned the Spain game in, in which we started so well. We were on the front foot. It, it maybe sounds a wee bit old-fashioned and, and I'm not saying it changes the game at all but I don't think in that five, that first five, ten minutes that you have maybe the, a flashpoint or something you have a again it, it sounds a bit maybe dinosaur but you don't have somebody going in on somebody early on and, and getting the crowd up for it I think again I, I'm not saying that that totally makes a difference but um, you know Camille no playing in, in big games that you know maybe it does maybe it does have that that impact, England will know they're in a game. You look, you know, we, we've discussed some of the players, uh, the likes of Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, you know, Kane and Bellingham, um, even Adams up front against a couple of centre-halves. If maybe there's a, a wee shoulder barge or somebody's you know, kicked Bellingham early on, does it does it impact them? Does it put them off the game? I don't know. Um, that's that's obviously a question that, re- that will remain unanswered. But it is just frustrating because we, we, we did start that Spain game so strong we got that early goal as well. Um, I think we just allowed England to to play a bit too much early on. But does that impact a game, Cammy? If have you been in changing rooms where managers have told you leave one in on the centre half from the first long ball, etc. If we go back to the England game at the Euros, Dykes did it to Luke Shaw the first instant in the game. Dykes put Luke Shaw on his arse, and I think that raised the temperature slightly. Yeah, I think it. I think it can have a, a good impact on, especially when you're. You're playing against a team that's that is as I spoke about before at elite level, um, a very very good side. I think when you've got to try and make them as uncomfortable as they they can be, um, these guys are good good players, top level players. So you've got to try and make them as uncomfortable as they can be, and they won't want to get in physical challenges, physical battles early in the game. They'll want to get the ball on the ground and get passes in and um, to feel the way into the game. But so uh, yes, I do think that that can play a part in. The way the game could pan out, I think if Scotland um, possibly had done that, played balls further up the pitch and got themselves up the pitch early on in the game, um, and maybe made it a little bit more physical, then it might have just riled England up a little bit and made them a little bit uncomfortable in the game because I felt as if they did. They got their foot on the ball and played their way into the game quite comfortably, and that built confidence within themselves, um, and and that just kind of showed throughout the rest of the game. Potentially, Cammy, uh, I'll say potentially, I think the, the proof is, is there for all to see. A bit of a limitation exposed up front. Shea Adams was isolated, um, to put it mildly. Is that because England did a good job on McGinn and McTominay and prevented them from linking up? Or was it just too difficult for us generally to get up the park and help Adam? Yeah, I think the, the tone of the game and the way the game started off, England really controlled it um, from the start. Uh, managed to get a lot, a number of passes in and we sort of sat off them a little bit and found ourselves finding it really hard to get up the pitch and get any real possession in the ball. And 
think you touched on that one there. The John McGinn for me never really impacted the game like he normally does for Scotland. I think he's a we all know he's a huge player for us, and I think England done a number on him. I think they they knew that he was a big threat for for us and and for them, um, and, and nullified that as much as they could. And um, that again, I think played a part in. Adams not having a lot of service and, and obviously support. And he did look very, very isolated. He looked really frustrated, um, chasing a lot of lost causes and and balls that were getting played up to himself. But the gaps were, were too big. Again, as a, the half went on, we got deeper and deeper as well as a team. Um, and Adams just ended up being so isolated up front. Even if he had a decent first touch, there was so many England bodies around him um, that managed to get the ball off him and they would just then start another attack. So... It was it was a real difficult night for him, um, but I think the big impact was that John McGinn just couldn't get into the game at all and didn't get his normal influence that he has for Scotland. He's so influential, scores so many goals, involved in so many goals, whether it's an assist or, or him scoring, but he just didn't really get in the game at all um, against England. Callum, I felt that England were, were dragging us around the pitch while they were in possession at times. We were chasing shadows. The first goal, I watched it back on on YouTube just before the just before the podcast started, and we were all just ball watching. I think maybe that's natural because Bellingham is the one in possession, and, and it's hard to ignore that probably when he is such a threat. But it's just a little slide through to Rashford out to Walker, and then we probably get a bit unfortunate because. Walker's shot, that's a shot, and Foden does well to adjust his instep to to send it in. But it was total ball watching, and then um, the the second fist to the stomach with Robertson's mistake for the second goal, which which can happen even to the best players sometimes, but I'll never stop hammering home that I don't understand how a professional footballer can be so hesitant on their weaker foot to just put, put it through the ball and clear it um, at a time of urgency. I, I'm, I'm not sure what he was trying to do there but it, it has to be said that these things can happen and Robertson's been great for us for, for the last season or so Yes, yeah, it's, it's two frustrating goals to concede and what this Scotland team really been built on is, is being hard to beat and, and not conceding soft goals and for me it's, it's two of the softest goals you'll see and again I think that there maybe probably has been a bit of an overreaction to you know the, the, the 3-1 defeat again it's a team that probably should be beating us and things and you know, maybe it's a bit of a reality check as you touch on, but that that will be the frustration is that you know it's two goals that we don't usually concede, or we, or we certainly haven't been conceding under Clark the last year or two. Um, you know, you look at the the clean sheet against Spain, um, the, the the goal against Norway, I think was a was a penalty, and obviously you you keep the clean sheets, albeit it's against Cyprus and Georgia as well, um, Cyprus twice, sorry, um, but. Yes, it's very frustrating. I think Kyle Walker for me was was very very good for England. I think he stopped us going forward a lot. You know, we saw that we weren't as good going forward on the right. I think I mean everyone knows that anyway. But it, he he really limited for me Robertson and Tierney in an attacking sense and also punished them in a defensive sense. You know, he's one of if not the, the best right back in the world. And obviously that, that pains me to say that with him being English, but. Um, yeah, I thought thought he was terrific alongside Bellingham, who's getting the plaudits. But for me, Walker was was really key for England. Yeah, they they had a threat down the right hand side, didn't they, Cami? And I think Callum's right in saying that our left hand side, which has thrived over the last few months, 
didn't really get going. Um, Tierney was eventually taken off because it wasn't just really working out for us on the left-hand side. Look, look at England's threat on the right-hand side. Unfair to put Hickey or, or Nathan Patterson on the, on the same level as Kyle Walker. That's just That would just be factually false. Um, but does the right-hand side need a bit of a a bit of a, a brush up in an attacking sense for us because if Hickey and or Patterson aren't uh, aren't getting forward, I'm not too sure that we've got much of a, a threat from threat from that side the way that we do in the left with Robertson and Tierney who have been doing it religiously for for the last little while. Yeah, I agree. Listen, we've all known that our left hand side is so strong, um, and I agree with Calm. I think Kyle Walker was fantastic during the game. Um, one of England's best players and I, I think that really was the reason that we couldn't hurt England at all down that uh, down their right hand side now the left hand side was purely because Kyle Walker was attacking so much he's got so much pace he's got so many threats about him that you need to be so wary about him so Robertson and Tierney were, were occupied back in our own defensive third and that made it difficult for them getting forward in the game Um and, and Kyle Walker's recovery pace as well is, is phenomenal. We've seen it a number of times in the games when we, when we did get forward on that left-hand side. Kyle Walker can get back. Um, one of the quickest players, um, you'll see it, at a right-back position. Um, so that that was a reason we didn't sort of thrive on that left-hand side. The right-hand side is interesting. Listen, I think, um, yes, we, we, we don't get as much threat from um, Hickey down that, that right-hand side. But listen, I still think there's a lot of talent and, and his and his ability and, and he will grow in a Scotland jersey. I think he will with the experience he's getting at a young age. Um he's a top player and will be, get better and better as time goes on. So I, I yes I agree that there's maybe other options that we can possibly look at down the right hand side to try and make ourselves a, a more attacking threat. But obviously in, in games against it, your your top side you're you're gonna have to look to to make sure you're keeping the door closed at the back. And, and again, I agree with Calm. You'll look at them two goals that we lost and they are very, very soft. And that's where Steve will be so disappointed that is the goals. We've not made England work really, really hard to get them goals and, and be unbelievable world, world-class world goals. We almost kind of gifted them two, certainly two goals out of the three. Game-dependent though, Cammy. of course, we're going to have to sit in a bit more against England and we can't expect really to be a relentless attacking force against sides of that calibre. If we look at, for example, our second goal against Spain, Tierney's transition down the left-hand side. I think it was it McGregor maybe that won the ball in midfield. I can't remember and gave it to uh, Tierney, and he went away down the left in a counter attack. I'm not sure we have the the ability to do that with Hickey in the side. This is not me advocating for Hickey to get chucked out the team at all. I think he is a good player, and I rate him, and I like him for Scotland. But if we are having to play that way. Pat, would Patterson be more of an, an attacking threat on the right-hand side? Should we find ourselves in situations where the ball is turned over quickly because we didn't have much down the right at all against England? Yeah, listen, I think I think Patterson's got um, real athleticism in his game. I think he can get up and down that pitch very, very well. He's got real quality as well. I think he, he delivers a, a good ball into the box. Um, he's another young talent that again he's going to grow in that Scotland years I think he's going to get better and better when he gets the opportunities so listen I think that there's definitely a debate about the right hand side it's probably one of the positions in our, in our team that that's probably still open for debate of finding this, the right solution for our best team but I do think that'll depend on who we're playing and what countries we're going to be playing and 
um, how much of the ball we're going to have. The, I mean, there was one touched on it earlier that one of the things I was disappointed was that the times we actually had the ball and were in possession, we gave it away cheaply, and it's not like us. We've, we've been very good, very conf, conf, <clears throat> sorry, confident normally, um, and. Uh, I just felt as if the kind of pressure got to us a little bit and we just gave the ball away cheaply. And against the top side, you need to keep the ball. You need to keep the ball and keep it moving and move it forward and play your confident football you normally do. And I've just seen a little bit of nervousness about us um, against England. And, and you, listen, there's always going to be... They, they put us under a huge amount of pressure and, and pressed the ball really well. But I just felt as if that we could have done slightly better in possession of the football and, and that would have created us some more opportunities. Callum, we have been good at keeping the ball for the most part uh, in the last little while, especially in this group stage so far. Given how much England dominated us in midfield, though, we have a question here on Twitter from Northbank Runner who asks, is there a Scotland team of beautiful footballers to destroy lesser teams and another more full of well-organised, physical and disciplined players who can sit back and hit on the counter against the better te- better teams? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, I think I think we set up for me differently against England than we would in a competitive game. I, I don't know if that makes sense. I'm not saying we we played we tried to play total expansive football, but I think I know we've come on leaps and bounds since that that nil nil draw at Wembley. But I think if it's a a qualifier or you know a game in a finals, for example, I don't think those goals happen because I think we're we're sat in a lot more. We're, we're not trying to get as high a line. We're not trying to get forward as much. Um, and and maybe, they, maybe we do play a, a more defensive kind of formation. Um, but, you know, for me, it's it's difficult because England totally dominated the midfield. I think it's it's, it's more of a physicality thing. Um, we've got the players now. We've, we've seen Gilmore and McGregor able to keep the ball. McGinn's brilliant at it. Um, McTominay's a fantastic footballer as well. You know, they're four top kind of central midfielders or, or attacking midfielders, whatever you want to call them. Um but you know, you look at you look at Rice, you look at um even Calvin Phillips to an extent, it's just as physical as McGinn and McCormany are, I think England have more of those types of players. And I think again your Germany's, your France's, they've got more energetic, more physical midfielders um than us. And that's not to say because you, know, you look at Xavi and Iniesta, they weren't the most physical guys, kind of like our, our McGregor's and, and Gilmore's, but I think they just kind of overran them. You look at Declan Rice, when he's in full flow, he's, what, six foot two, absolutely, you know, massive, brilliant strength, but he's got the pace as well, um, similar to, to Calvin Phillips. I think they just sort of kind of bossed us. Um, but, you know, for me, it, it's credit to us, I think, in a way, that they... They tried so hard to, to nullify. I think we should take that as a compliment. Um, they obviously, they took us lightly a couple of years ago. And, you know, we, we're talking about learning our lessons from this game. I think, you know, we should take a compliment that, that they've learned their lesson from from Wembley a few years ago. And and you can see that they've really tried to nullify Billy Gilmore. They've really tried to nullify uh, John McGinn. And they've really tried to you know, nullify us going down that left-hand side as well. We did ponder before the game can we take England at their own style, at, at their own game, without relying on the blood and thunder too much? I think that the there's a lot to be said for that in a, in a game of this magnitude and with this rivalry, Cami, 
uh, where England are better than is they have better players that it's there's no shame in maybe utilizing what we've got built within us to to take them on. Yeah, absolutely no shame. Listen, the the best way is just finding a way to win that game of football, and and Steve Clark knows all about that. And I agree with with Callum as well that I, I don't know if we would play like that exact style and exact expansive football under certainly under Steve in a qualifier. I think because it's a friendly, it does take away. And I'm not saying that that he's he's took it any lightlier than he would have, but I just think he maybe tried a couple of things, tweaked it slightly more than he would have in a qualifier. Um, because listen, I think Steve Clark can absolutely set up a team which is really rugged and hard to get beat. Um, he can do it that way. Any player at his disposal, he's done that, obviously, on his journey with Kamarnock into the national team. And we've seen it with the national team, building up confidence by by making us hard to beat to start with, to then grow the confidence within the squad to, to be able to play some good football. Because we do have good football players, but ultimately we, we've, we've kind of been known for a lot, certainly for recent times, we've not conceded a lot of goals. And if teams do score, it becomes hard, hard, to, hard to score against a Scotland team at the moment. Um, and then you looked at the other night, and uh, we just—if you analyse the goals, they are—they are gifts um, to such a high caliber of opposition as well. You're always going to get punished if you give them a number of opportunities. But you need to take your hat off to England as well. I thought they were—they were very strong on the night. I don't think we performed to our full potential, but I also think England were were really probably near enough the top of their game. Um, so. Yes, we, we can still take some heart from that, that it was a 3-1 defeat and we probably look at it and go, well, we didn't actually play to our maximum potential, whereas we played against one of the top teams in the world that probably played to, to almost, I would think, what they can what they can play at. So I think we need to take some heart from that as well. Just to, Sorry, just to quickly come in as well, Clark, obviously, I think it's said before the match that, that he's looking for certain things. I'm... I'm just wondering if it was that, you know, as you're looking for how how close are we to England if we, we try to match them, if we try to go toe-to-toe and we don't try to, I'm not saying don't try to stop them at all because obviously you do, obviously that's worked on, but I think Clark's maybe gone, let, let's go for it here and let's see how, how far off we are, maybe. Is, is that is that something? I, I don't know. Yeah. I think as far as I'm aware, Clark is adapting in-game now to test the team in, in different situations. I'm not sure that against England it, how much that would have happened, but against Cyprus, I think the the team for the second half were told to perform in a different way than they did in the first um, to help prepare them for different styles of football because the game was pretty much done. So um, I'm not sure if he would have done that against England at 2-0 down, but I think when the game was in our con- if the game had been in our control or when the game was in our control in Cyprus, that's the sort of thing that he's been implementing. So... Um, yeah, perhaps he did uh, against England as well. As well, a um, couple of comments in on the Twitter. I've I've made jokes in the past about Scotland's national sport being overreacting, but I think the form that the team have had recently has helped keep a good sense of perspective on this. Um, there doesn't seem to be much of a meltdown really. We've got one here from Michael Spittle saying disappointing, but we shouldn't underestimate how good England are. We'll have to get used to these kinds of results now and again as pot as a pot a nation. Derek Haston, it was a good lesson of playing against the top team. England moved the ball quickly and accurately. Um, we'll see next month what lessons we've taken from it. Scotland fan um, just simply says, one of the glaring things for me was the lack of an out ball. We were hemmed in for long periods and couldn't find that pass to Adams 
or McGinn to hold the ball up, which we've touched on um, already. So, yeah, I think the the lay of the land qualification-wise can't be ignored. Let's have a reminder of where Scotland are at the moment. I'll just read you the intro or the, the, the information that the BBC have put up here. Um, the 12th of October meeting with Spain and Seville is Scotland's next game. They would qualify with a win or a draw, so it's very much could could happen in the, in the next game, but could even do so in defeat should Norway drop points in Cyprus. Unlikely. However, if Scotland lose to Spain and Norway win against Cyprus, the Scots would secure qualification by beating Georgia away on the 16th of November. Um, we can also qualify if Spain beat Norway when they play each other next as well. So it could happen with us on the pitch, could happen when we're watching as well. I think that would be on the same night or just before we play France, Spain play Norway. And I'm pretty sure that if Spain beat Norway that night, it's done and dusted too. So, yeah, plenty of reasons still to be confident despite the loss to our rivals. Um, and we've been challenged in the past recently, Callum, uh, when we were hammered in Moscow. Uh, we went on that really good run to reach the Euros and uh, through the Nations League against Serbia. Uh, when we were beaten in Copenhagen, the first game after the Euros, we went on to finish second in the group. And then after losing to Ukraine last summer, we bounced back to go on that amazing run, get promotion and start this group unbeaten. Another opportunity for the boys now. Yeah, no, there is. A, a, as, as you know, the the, the people in, on Twitter said, I don't think we, we should kind of lose morale from this. It's a, it's a defeat to a team that probably should be beating us, if, if we're being honest. Um, and not to sound pessimistic at all, but we, we could very well lose the next two games as well. And you're looking at, OK, it's three, three defeats on the bounce maybe, and you go into that Georgia game and there could be a lot of pressure on it. But I think it's important not to not to detract from from how well we've done. You know, we've we've made huge, huge steps. And people, you know, negative people could maybe look at, oh, you've lost three in a bounce. Scotland, they're 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 tumbling downhill and all this. But you know, we 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 still would be a, a win away against Georgia, who we're very comfortable against at home. Obviously, it's a bit of a banana skin, but we thought Cyprus was a banana skin. So um, I think it's important not to kind of lose lose what we've built up. I think we're where you know those those kind of points are in the past to the, the the glorious failure and all this. I think. You know, I don't want again. You you never want to say it, but I think I think we will go to the Euros. I think the squad's got more than enough. Um, I just hope we can do it as early as possible. I think the, the team is good enough to to get something in Spain. Um, obviously you've got to hope again that Spain have an off night, and we've seen them <laughs> we've absolutely trounced two teams, haven't they, in the last um the last round of internationals there. But again, no reason why, why we shouldn't trust them, Steve Clark, and in, in this squad to. To go and, and frustrate Spain and hopefully nick a point, which will maybe even three, which will see us going to, to qualify. Fingers crossed. That's the dream. Yeah, that is only Scotland's second defeat in 20 home games in all competitions. So, yeah, we've been good at Hamden recently. England turned up in the night and we didn't as much. But yeah, these tests are necessary because we're in League A of the Nations League now. We hope to be in the Euros next summer. Spain competitively and then a friendly against France next. And yeah, we'll learn more from playing these teams than we would, I'm sure, in home games against the likes of Estonia or Lithuania or teams of pot four nature, um, as we've had um, in recent years. A quick point that I feel we should touch on, given that his name is on many lips. Uh, Elliot Anderson, turns out the initial reports were right, Cami. Um, 
he didn't leave the Scotland camp with an injury. Uh, he decided that it just wasn't for him. Um, a, a quick one here, uh, because I'm certainly not in the business of going into footer on Elliot Anderson. He's not a boy that's grown up here. He, he doesn't. He clearly doesn't feel like he has blue blood flowing around him. Um, so he's not turned his back on Scotland. I think he'd been tempted clearly to give it a go by Clark and quickly realised that he, maybe he would rather clearly would rather pursue an international career with England. Fine. Good luck to him. That's where he was raised. He clearly feels English, and I'm sure as Scots and and the, the squad himself, because I'm pretty sure he had a, a, a chat with the um, the manager about it, and probably the squad as well. Um, that it wasn't for him, um, and they would rather, as much as us, that someone that's going to be on board is is all in. Yeah, listen, uh, knowing Steve Clark, um, he'll only take players that are all in, um, and I think the reason he's probably came up to to have a have a test it and see um, was probably the conversation with Steve Clark. He's very influential as a as a manager, as we know. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure he had a, a, a conversation with Elliot Anderson and made it clear that he wanted him to be part of the, the squad and uh, made it, made him feel valued. So that's probably why he ended up with the squad. And then maybe when he's got in the squad, he, listen, you never know if phone calls are made um, or what's happened in between that time. Um, so... But as I say, I think when you look at Steve Clark and the way that he creates an environment and a culture that we've got in our Scotland squad at the moment, I think you've got to you've got to be all in as a as a Scotland player, whether you're a starting eleven player or you're you're a squad player, they're all together. Um and Steve Clark makes that sort of group very, very close. And that's um that's a reason that I think Steve will be comfortable with with Ellie Anderson's decision, to be honest. Alan, where do you stand on this? I've seen Quite a few comments on Twitter saying, you know, fine, we don't need him. Um, and that may be the case just now. I don't think there's any urgency for Elliot Anderson, but at some point it would be nice to have a, a player of his level in the team. He's only 20, so it's not like he's in his peak or over the hill. There's there's plenty of room to go in Elliot Anderson's career, but I suppose you, knowing you, you must be thinking along similar lines that, you know what, if he's not committed, then... No great loss, but we'll be fine without him. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's starting to mess us about a bit too much now. Just my, you know, my own personal opinion. Obviously, the lad's only twenty, and as you say, I'm not going to stick the boot in because you know I, I don't know how that feels to to be born somewhere and and have the option to play for another another country. Um, listen, if he feels English, that's fine. If he doesn't feel Scottish, you know, good luck to him. Um, but I don't think Scotland should be kind of being being messed about, messed around. Um, as as people have touched on, he's a he's a good young player, and I'm sure he'll have a great career. But I would rather, as Cammy says, have guys that are that are all in. I don't know if um, the and again it's different because Ben Dokes actually you know fully fledged Scottish, but I don't know if anybody saw the the quotes that 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 he had today. Got the same. I I would love to play for Scotland. It would be the stuff of dreams for me. But the manager will know if and when I'm ready, and only and I can only go on what he decides. I think for me, that's that's the attitude I want in a, a Scotland player. And if, if Anderson doesn't fancy it, then then all the best. I'm not going to stick the boot in because, quite frankly, he obviously considers himself himself English. So again, all the very best to him. But yeah, I'd, I'd rather us not be messed around, and I'd rather us have players that want to be here. Uh, yeah, just a, a quick one on Doke as well. We don't need to. To go around about it all because we've we speak about him every podcast. But great, 
Tam, uh, sorry, great flashes from him against Spain the other night. Uh, in the under twenty ones, looked like a brilliant performance from him. He's really getting that signature dummy down, doesn't he? Like it looks brilliant <laughs> the way that he draws the defender in, and then he's he's away. Um, so hopefully, I think we will see Doak in, in the squad this season at some point. Anyway, um, a quick word on the national anthem, Fiore, Furore. Who cares? That's where it begins and ends. There is nothing to be spoken about on the national anthem nonsense. Let's move on from that. Um, just before we finish up, guys, though, hopefully that's the Scottish national anthem structure going forward now. Piper for the first verse and a cappella for the second without a band behind it. Thought it sounded magnificent. 100%. Bang on. And, uh, yeah, it was incredible. 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 Just the atmosphere and yeah, the noise uh, that the Scotland fans carried that, that second verse was, was fantastic. And it's a shame that that's the last we've seen of the kit, isn't it? Unless maybe they they choose to use it in next summer if we if we qualify, but it's just it's a brilliant kit. The red red socks, it yeah it looks great. So um, it has been re released as well for its second uh, time in the shop. So if you've not got it, you better hurry, because um, I'm sure it will sell out um, pretty soon. Um, but yeah, uh, guys, not the not the smiles on our faces as we hoped, but we have kept a sense of perspective, much like most of the Hand and Roar followers as well. So onwards to Spain and then the friendly against France. And maybe by the next time we're rounding off an international break, we will be talking about a qualification to the Euros. Who knows? Um, Callum, Cammy, thanks very much for joining. And a reminder, please keep listening and subscribing and please leave a nice rating for the podcast if you're enjoying it. It's much appreciated. And we'll be back on in October. Podcast Network.